this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Open God's word with me this morning to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. We are in the midst of a study of the Gospel of John toward the end of that study. If you're new today, we're in the last chapter of the Gospel of John. And we're looking at one of the post-resurrection appearances of the risen Christ today. One of the most touching encounters that the risen Christ has with his disciples. And I pray that we'll encounter the risen Christ as we look at it this morning. Looking at the stranger on the shore. And I pray that if he is a stranger to you, he won't remain so. John chapter 21. And let's look at verses 1 through 14 this morning. If you'll follow along in God's word. John 21 and beginning with verse 1. The Bible says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it, heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled a net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's pray. Father, we're reminded that we live on this side of the resurrection, that we have a living Savior, and that dawn has broken in our lives, that we've been given new life in Christ. And Father, as, as again we look at one of these resurrection appearances of Christ, we pray that you would bring that home to our lives. Show us what it means to our lives that Jesus is alive, that he is risen, the difference that that can make. And so, Father, speak now, 
to us through Your Word. Give us grace to hear, to understand, and to apply. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. On April 26, 1986, some 30 million viewers across the nation turned, turned out for one of the, the most hyped events in television history. I was among the 30 million, myself and a few college buddies. And uh, what was happening was that supposedly a, a secret vault that had once belonged to the gangster Al Capone was being opened beneath the Lexington Hotel in Chicago. And the flamboyant journalist Geraldo Rivera was going to open this vault on live television. So we're all gathered around to watch. I mean, the hype machine had been in full motion. The buildup for this was incredible. IRS agents were on hand in case stolen money was found. More ominously, medical examiners were on hand in case bodies were found in the vault. So the moment came, and they opened up the vault, and Geraldo went in and poked around inside and came out with absolutely nothing. There was just nothing but just worthless debris inside the vault. Basically, the only identifiable object that he could bring out was an empty old liquor bottle. And so here's Geraldo standing there with this empty bottle and just muttering something about, you know, bathtub gin or something. I mean, the whole thing was just an incredible fiasco. You know, the, Jew, the leaders, the religious leaders and the Romans, the people that killed Jesus, really found themselves in that kind of position in the days after his resurrection. Because they had an empty tomb on their hands. And nothing but the lamest of explanations to account for it. Had they been able to produce the body of Christ, then the Christian movement would have been brought to a screeching halt immediately. But they couldn't produce the body of Jesus. Because Jesus was alive and well, and he was going around and he was revealing himself, appearing to many people. And today we're going to look at another of those resurrection appearances. And we're going to talk about what that means for us. What do we see here in this text? First of all, we see something here about the insufficiency of human effort. Let's begin to walk through it in verse 1. It says, After this, Jesus revealed himself to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Now, the Sea of Tiberias, just another name for the Sea of Galilee. And this is where it had all begun three years earlier for Jesus and his disciples. Jesus, born and raised in this area, his disciples as well. Some of them had been involved in a fishing business on this very body of water when he called them. This is where it all started. And so Jesus once again is meeting them there. And we see in verse 2 that Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. Now commentators are divided here. There are some commentators that believe that the disciples were 
doing something wrong by going fishing on this night that they were, that this sort of indicates a, a lack of faith, that maybe they were sort of going back to their old lifestyle, that they're, they're sort of in the wrong in what they're doing. Um, other commentators would uh, disagree, and you can count me in the latter category. I don't, I don't see here that they're doing really anything wrong, and I say that for a couple of reasons. Twice in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus essentially tells them to, to meet him in Galilee, that, uh, you know, we're going to meet up there. And so nothing wrong with the fact that they've left Jerusalem and gone back to Galilee at this point, and really nothing wrong with the fact that they're going fishing either. Uh, my professor in seminary on the Gospel of John was G.R. Beasley Murray, who wrote a massive commentary on John. And Dr. Beasley Murray says that, just because Christ has been raised from the dead doesn't mean that these guys don't have to eat. And not only do they have to eat, but even if they were going to uh, sell some of these fish as a means of provision for their families and for the support of the gospel, there wouldn't be anything wrong with that either. The fact that they're going fishing at night might indicate that. It might indicate that usually they put the fish on the market early in the morning after a night of fishing. But even if they're doing that, you know, certainly... The Apostle Paul was a tent maker by trade, even as he planted churches and, and, and did missions. Paul still at times exercised his trade of tent making as a means of provision and a means of the support of the gospel. And so even if that's happening here, I don't think this, this indicates necessarily a lack of faith or that they're doing anything wrong. However, they do have a higher calling at this point. And it, it, it happens early when they first met Jesus. What did Jesus say to them? At this very place, on this very body of water, when they first met Jesus and he called them, what did he say to them? Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. They, they were called to, even though they may still fish occasionally, they've got a higher kind of fishing to do. They are in the people business, and so are we. No matter what your vocation in life, listen, this division between, uh, you know, preachers, uh, clergy, and everybody else, it's really not something you see in Scripture. Well, all of us, no matter what you're calling, whether you're working out there on a job or you're a mom staying at home with little kids or whether you're in school or what, whatever you do, Jesus calls you. If you are his follower, you are an agent of God. You are an ambassador for Christ. You are in the people business. And that means that whatever you do, that's your, your highest calling. So, so what does it mean? It means that in whatever he's called us to, it means we do that with excellence. It means we do that understanding that we're serving God. It means that as part of our Christian testimony, we want to do whatever God has called us to do to the best of our, our, of our ability um, as a means of, of, of glorifying him, as a means of witnessing to other people. It means that we're on the lookout to serve and meet needs and speak the gospel wherever we are, in whatever arena of life we find ourselves. Now, we see in the latter part of verse 3 that on this occasion, they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. 
Now, I don't think they're being disciplined because they're in the wrong place at the wrong time. But I do think that Jesus is seeking to make a larger point to them and to us. And it goes back to something that he said in the upper room that we saw in chapter 15, where Jesus says there in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is making a point here about the insufficiency of our human effort. You know, too many Christians sort of think that, you know, well, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, but then once we're in Christ, it's up to us to get on with it. You know, to just sort of live the Christian life uh, in our own steam, you know, our, our own strength. Well, no. Not only were we saved by grace through faith, that's also the way we're to live the Christian life. Trusting in God, depending upon God, leaning upon Him. The Bible is not anti-effort by any means. It's not anti-effort when it comes to, um, to, to seeking to live for the Lord. We're called to go hard after God. You know, the Holy Spirit's not going to read your Bible for you each day or do the spiritual disciplines for you. Yes, we're called to go hard after Him, um, to be in the Word, to be in prayer. You know, yes, there's a role for us for human effort and also in the work of ministry or in, in our callings. Our job, whatever, whatever we're doing, yes, there is a place for effort. Ecclesiastes. 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Be all in to what God has called you to do. Colossians chapter 3, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So whatever he's calling you to do, do it with excellence, work heartily, understand that you're doing it for his glory, that Jesus is your boss, whatever you do, and, and you, are, you, you want to please his heart, and he's going to reward that. You are serving him. And so, yes, we want to do our utmost for his highest, okay? But, but... As we are doing that, we are to do that in dependence upon God. We are to do that leaning upon God for His help and His strength. It's kind of like playing golf. We had a great time yesterday playing golf at our, at our church's tournament and being able to support missions at the same time and just enjoy the glory of God's creation and just having fun with brothers in Christ. Um, but you know what? In golf, um, and I'm not an expert at this, okay? But um, I, I know it to be true. In golf, you do have to concentrate on every shot. But if you're tense, if you're angry, <laughs> if you're if you're stressed out, you can't play golf. You just can't. Your muscles tense up, and and you have no control of your of, of where the ball is going to go. And so it's the type of thing where you're locked in and you're focused and you're concentrating on each shot, but yet at the same time, you've got to be relaxed. You know, you've, you've got it. You've got it. And, and see, there, 
that's, I think that really gets at the, at the way that we're to live the Christian life and the way we're to do ministry, the way we're to engage in the callings that God has put on our lives. Yes, be all in, work heartily, do it with all your might. Yes, yes, but do it leaning upon God. Do it prayerfully, in dependence upon God, understanding that it's not just you. You're just a vessel. God's involved here. You know, and so it's not all on you. Depend upon the Lord. Trust in Him. Depend on Him and understand that it's, this is not just about you. That God's at work. God's going to be at work. And so lean upon Him. Trust Him even as you're all out for Him. So we see here something about the insufficiency of human effort. Second, we see something about the abundance of God's provision. Verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Now John's too good of a writer for these two phrases in the first part of verse 4 um, not, to, not to mean something. Many scholars believe that these two phrases, day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, are intentionally linked together. And I believe that as well. The rising of the S-U-N and the rising of the S-O-N. With the resurrection of Christ, new creation was happening. Dawn was breaking. Something new, something new had come into being. And just as the sun, once it begins to rise, cannot be stopped, the work of Christ cannot be stopped. And even though it may still seem dark, the, the sun is barely coming up, we know it's going to come up. We know it's going to come. The sun is rising. New creation has happened. It's, something, it's fundamentally different now that Jesus has been raised. I took this picture just a few months ago on the shore of the Sea of Galilee at daybreak. So this is the the scene that is going on here. And, and we need to remind ourselves that, that Christ has risen. And because of that, new creation has begun and it will not be stopped. Very important that we understand that. Because look, we look around at the world and we see the plight, we see the pain of things that happen around the world. I mean, just... Uh, just this weekend, I was reading an article that just tore at my heart about 230-some little girls in Nigeria that were just snatched, kidnapped, and in all likelihood uh, sold into sexual slavery. And a story that was incredibly underreported in our country because it's not a nation that immediately impacts us. We can be so focused on us as Americans. And this should have gotten so much more attention than what it did. But I'll tell you, as a father of two girls, it's just tore at me. I mean, we, but it's just one example of, of, of what, what happens in a broken, fallen, sin-sick world. But you know, even so, even when we, even when we see things like this that we need to be praying about and working to, 
to alleviate, we need to understand that there's another story that's happening in our world that is also incredibly underreported, and that's the spread of the gospel, which is unparalleled, unparalleled in human history. What God is doing, maybe not in America and Western Europe, But in most of the world, the spread of Christianity, the unreached peoples that are being reached with the gospel is amazing in our day. The sun is rising. It's rising. And it's not going to be stopped. And listen, you are a part of that. You're a part of that through your giving, through your your prayers, and in many cases through your going, you are a part of that new creation that's happening all around the world, and even in our own country. You know, we look at our country, yes, there's much reason to be concerned um, about where we are morally and politically and, and most of all spiritually. What we, what we ultimately need in America is revival. But you know what? I, I look especially at what God is doing among young adults, what he's doing on college campuses. It's incredible. You, know, you see things like, Passion, you see what's happening on, on college campuses with, with campus ministries and what God is doing, what, what's happening um, as, as just unprecedented numbers of young adults are uh, swelling our seminaries, which you're also a part of supporting through your tithes and offerings. But, you know, pe- young people that are saying, Lord, here I am, send me. Send me to the hardest place to do the hardest thing. I want to tell you, that wasn't happening when I was in seminary in the early 1990s. And we've got a generation of young adults that, you know, are tired of just kind of cultural Christianity and playing games. And they want the real thing. They want the strong stuff. And and whatever God has called them to, you know, they just want to make an impact for Christ in our world. You know, I, I just see that happening to an extent that's certainly unprecedented in my life. The sun is rising. The sun is rising. It's not going to be stopped. And and you know what? Even in our own lives, we need to understand this. Because if you are a conscientious Christian, and you're serious about holiness, you're serious about wanting to live all out for God, Certainly there are times in your life where you feel discouraged by your own lack of progress. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it seems like we're making progress and and, and sanctification and we're we're growing, uh, and then we take a few steps back. You know, and we can can just begin to beat ourselves up and really get into a lot of self-condemnation. But I just want to encourage you today. No... Maybe you're not where you want to be, but praise God, you're not where you once were. The sun is rising in your life. It's not going to be stopped. God's going to complete the good work that He began in you when He saved you. So encouraging to know that. You know, and, and in our church, you know, it's just what, what encourages me as a pastor is just to know that, you know, as we preach the gospel, and do the things that God has called us to do, that God is at work, and He is, and we see evidence of His grace here all around. Are we where we want to get yet? No, but the sun is rising in our church. 
And there's just so many reasons to be encouraged. We need to understand Jesus is risen. Everything has changed. His work is not going to be stopped. Now, we, we see here in the, the latter part of verse 4 that the disciples did not yet know that it was Jesus. could have been because it was still relatively dark. They're about 100 yards away. The recognition did not come immediately. But in verse 5, Jesus calls out to them. And he says, children, do you have any fish? Now, I don't think that the word children is probably the best translation of the Greek here. It's really something more like guys or boys. And Jesus phrases it as if he's expecting a negative answer. It's almost like, boys, you haven't caught anything, have you? <laughs> and they say, no. And then he says, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Now, just as dawn is breaking, it's dawning on them who is speaking because when this happens and the net begins to fill with fish, no doubt their minds are taken back to three years before the day that they first met Jesus. Because what happened? Luke 5 tells us when he had finished speaking that day, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And this brings back this happening again on this day. And it's, it, the memories are flooding back. The recognition is dawning upon them. And so verse 7 says, That disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. Now, the reactions of these two guys are just quintessential John and Peter in this text because John is the one with the quick spiritual insight. He recognizes Jesus first. Peter is the person of quick action. He jumps into the sea. And, and the message, there's a message here for us, and that is that just as Jesus' disciples were made up of people with very different kinds of personalities you know, so it is in the family of God. We come from different backgrounds. We're bringing different experiences to the table, different personalities, different temperaments, different spiritual gifts and abilities, all of that. But you know what? I believe that in every New Testament church, God has put the people in that local body of believers to get the job done. And he's going to use all of those differences to do that. Third, we see something in this text about the greatness of service. The greatness of service. Verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. Now, we saw a charcoal fire, fire a few weeks ago, right? It was outside of Caiaphas' house when Peter denied Christ. We're going to talk more about that next week. But when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it, and bread. It's just so Jesus. Jesus knowing 
that they had been toiling all night, that they were tired, they were hungry. I mean, when you've been outside and you're tired and hungry, there's nothing like a hot meal. And so Jesus, knowing all of this, has made breakfast for them. He's, he's got it laid out before them. Throughout the Gospels, we, we see this theme of, of Jesus not only teaching about service, but modeling it. He says, I came not to serve, not to, not to be served, but to serve. He said, the greatest among you is the one who serves. And the night before he went to the cross, we saw in chapter 13, Jesus takes a basin of water, takes a towel, and moves from disciple to disciple, washing dirty feet. And then he says to them, I've left you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And Paul in Philippians 2 says that, that Christ took the form of a servant, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And now Jesus is, is modeling this again and just meeting their needs, looking out for their needs and, and making breakfast for them. What, what can we draw from this? First of all, Jesus was looking proactively to meet needs. And that's what we're called to do as well as followers of Christ. It it means that each morning we should get up with a servant mentality, proactively eager on the lookout to meet the needs of other people. Beginning in our own families and then in our sphere of influence where He's called us, in our school, job, circle of friends, whatever. It means that instead of waiting to be served, we're looking for opportunities to serve in the family of God. We're looking for ways to serve, looking for ways to meet needs. Second, God is continually on the lookout for us, as Jesus was for His disciples that night. God has your back. He has your back. He's constantly on the lookout for you. He knows your needs. And He's leaning forward to meet them. And that should go a long way toward alleviating our anxiety and fear. Let's keep walking through. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. It's just invitation. Come on. It's more than enough. More than enough. And you're invited to partake. I'm reminded of Revelation chapter 3 where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Verse 13, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. Does this verse remind you of anything that we've seen in John's Gospel? Chapter 6, where Jesus feeds thousands and thousands five loaves and two fish. And John 6, 11 says that when he did that, he took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much 
as they wanted. He's more than enough. More than enough. And the message is that when we offer ourselves to the Lord, we say, Lord, here I am. Everything I am, everything I'm not, I'm yours. Take me. Use me. Little becomes much when it's placed in the Master's hands. He can take your life and do extraordinary things in you and through you when you present yourself to Him. Let's pray. Father, I pray for anyone here today for whom Jesus is still a stranger. Father, I pray that Jesus would become Savior and friend. Father, I pray that You would open eyes of hearts to see Jesus and His love and His beauty and to respond to the glorious good news of the Gospel. Because, Lord, we know that not only were fish laid out on the grill that morning, but that Jesus was laid out on a cross for us. Sacrificed Himself, took our sins upon Himself, died the death that we should have died so that we could experience life even as He was raised from the dead. So we just continue to reflect before God in these moments. Jesus invites you to come and to experience new life, fellowship with Him. The work has been done. Christ was laid out on a cross, took your sins upon Himself, was raised from the dead so that you can have forgiveness of sins and new life, eternal life, if you'll repent of your sins and trust in Him. He's inviting you to that new life today. Many of you here today know that you are in Christ. Maybe God is saying to you today afresh and anew to present your life to Him as a living sacrifice. Say, Lord, here I am. Take my life. Everything I am, everything I'm not, Form me, shape me, use me in your service. Maybe God's speaking to you today about being a part of this church family as we do life together. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. And if God's speaking to your heart about any of these things, about a relationship with Him, you want to pray with someone and talk with someone, we'll be here for you. God's speaking to you about being a part of our family here. We're here for you as well. You come. So, Father, we, we pray that you would work in hearts and lives right now in this time of invitation. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. 
As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. Amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.